You're listening to sermons from Bethany Baptist Church. For more information, visit us at bethanychicago.org. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to pride and purity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Efesios 4, 16 al 17 al 24. Así que les digo esto e insto en el Señor. No vivan más con pensamientos frívolos como los paganos. A causa de la ignorancia que los domina y por la dureza de sus corazones, esos tienen oscurecido el entendimiento y están alejados de la vida que proviene de Dios. Han perdido toda vergüenza, se han entregado a la inmortalidad y no se sacian de comer, cometer toda clase de actos indecentes. No fue esta la enseñanza que ustedes recibieron acerca de Cristo, si de, veras, si de veras se les habló y enseñó de Jesús según la verdad que está en Él. Con respecto a la vida que antes llevaban, se les enseñó que debían quitarse el ropaje de la vieja naturaleza, la cual está corrompida por los deseos engañosos, ser renovados en la actitud de su mente y ponerse el ropaje de la nueva naturaleza creada a imagen de Dios en verdadera justicia y santidad. Uh, good morning again. <laughs> it's such a blessing, a privilege, and an honor to be here uh, once again this morning here at Bethany Baptist Church. Uh, it's been a while since I've been here, uh, about a year or so, a year and a half. And uh, I'm so excited every time I get to share God's word. And I pray we get this mic situation fixed out, it's fixed, and that uh, we can uh, hear. Uh, as I preach. And so when Linda asked me to come this morning, uh, I was excited. Uh, I was as well uh, a, a bit surprised as well, just knowing that it's been such a while. But I'm, I'm so grateful to open up God's word uh, again with you all. And so as I understood that you all have been going through a series in the book of Ephesians, and even though we're here at the Advent season, it's still an amazing opportunity to go through and open God's word here in Ephesians chapter 5. So before I begin, let me just open in a quick word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we simply say thank you. Uh, we simply say thank you for all that you have done for us. Lord, we, we, we say thank you for your goodness, uh, for your mercy for your patience, for your kindness, for your compassion, for your steadfast love to us, Lord God. It's, it's, uh, I'm reminded that with each year that you grant to us, with each moment that you give to us, I'm amazed at your, your mercy, your grace, your compassion, Lord God. And so as we are here this morning, as we consider this Advent season, Lord God, I pray that you be with this particular time. I pray you speak with my mouth, that you, you think with my mind, that you uh, 
you think with my thoughts, Lord God, and I pray as well for someone here this morning, that someone knows that you still know them, you still care about them, you still have good plans for them, and if they're tempted to doubt that, all they have to do is think about this Advent season. Think about the fact that you sent your only son all the way from heaven down to earth, uh, in order to pay the penalty of our sins. And so for that, we're grateful, we're eternally grateful, and we give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. Amen and amen. So this morning, coming from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17, I want to preach uh, with this thought in our minds. We've got to live like it. Live like it. I shall never forget it. I was a preteen when this major science fiction film was released. I still remember the inspiration that exuded from the screen as I watched one of the best films, at least in my opinion, ever directed and produced. Of course, at that time, I did not know that the movie would become a masterpiece and a classic, but I did know this, that as I watched it, I could not deny what I felt as my eyes gazed on the screen. To put it plainly, I was inspired. The movie poked at society's frustrations. It uh, poked at society's frustrations with the mundane. It pricked at the idea that the reality was not really real. And it presented the viewer with the option of two pills, one blue and one red. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. I may have dated myself, but it was the film The Matrix. I love The Matrix. Yes, yes, I do. It's one of my favorite movies. Uh, I love the storyline. It was well thought out. It involves computers predicting that we would exist in a digital world. It touched on the dissatisfaction on a routine life that it inevitably brings. And it was filled with danger, destiny, and discovery. I'm no movie critic, but I know this. I can tell a good one when I see it. <laughs> the Matrix is a personal favorite, not only because of the plot, not only because of its futuristic fight scenes, but it became a favorite of mine because of its main character, Neo. Ah, Neo. Maybe you remember Neo, played by Keanu Reeves, a programmer, a computer programmer, who felt deep within that something was off in his little world. He couldn't quite put a finger on it, but Neo in the movie, approached by Morpheus and Trinity, is informed of a new world in which he must unplug from the Matrix. It is Morpheus' belief that Neo is the one prophesied to free humankind. Sound familiar? It is one scene in particular that stands out to me. The group enters the Matrix to visit the Oracle, and as they are ready to leave the Matrix, they are ambushed by dangerous agents. Somehow, someway, Trinity and Morpheus escape, but Neo comes face to face with his dangerous enemy, Smith. And upon that fight scene, it appears that Smith overpowers Neo and and kills him. However, in a turn of events, Trinity confesses her love for Neo and her belief that she would fall in love with the one. Somehow, some way, Neo is revived 
And it is as if he receives newfound abilities and powers. He easily defeats Smith, and it is at this point that Morpheus says that unforgettable line. He's beginning to believe. You see, beloved, Neo began to live up to his name, his identity, his personhood, when he believed that he was the one who was sent to defeat the Matrix. The battles that he would have lost in the past, he started to win. From that point forward, Neo lived differently. He acted differently. He spoke differently, all because he began to believe who he was. Okay, maybe sci-fi movies aren't your thing, <laughs> but I remember as a teenager, uh, you know, the time when as you're growing as a young boy or young lady and you start to go through some changes and you begin to, to, to make more decisions in life, right? You begin to want to distance yourself from your parents and from those peoples who really love you. I remember at a time when I began to think more highly of myself than I ought. I was I started to act out a bit. I started to hang out with some of the people who weren't so thrilled with good authority. And I, I started to get full of myself. And, and, you know, the news of my behavior got back to my parents. And I remember them sitting them down vividly. And they, they didn't necessarily berate me, but they reminded me of who I was, or rather, whose I was. And it jolted me right back. Essentially, they said I wasn't living up to my name. While that is true in theater, while it's present in film, while it's evident at times in our missteps as we age, it seems to me that when we get to Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is saying to us this morning that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your life ought to reflect it. I like how one person puts it. If you claim Christ, you ought to live like it. Oh, church, that is a, a simple and sound and yet needed message for us here as we wind down the year of 2023. In a day when church attendance is dwindling, in a time when depression, despair, and depravity is strangling the witness of many believers. In a time when Christians are more known for our politics and our podcasts, I hear the Apostle Paul preaching for you, pleading for you and I to return to right living, or rather, should I say, righteous living. When we get to Ephesians, we enter a world packed with powerful encounters. Precise language, penetrating heavenly principalities, and passionate appeals. And it makes sense because Ephesus at the time in which the Apostle Paul found himself was a wild city. If you give me a few moments, I'm going to share a little bit about Ephesus. Ephesus was a port city off the Mediterranean Sea. It was much like a present-day New York City or Las Vegas or even Chicago. The best and the brightest were found there. The well-traveled, the wealthy were in this city. Ephesus was a leading commercial and cultural city of the Roman Empire. It boasted the great pagan temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. 
This was where much of the center of wickedness in Ephesus took place. It was one fifth century Greek philosopher who referred to Ephesus as the darkness of vileness. The morals, he stated, were lower than animals and the inhabitants were fit only to be drowned, is what he said. It is in this debauchery that the church of Ephesus came into being. The church was a small group of people living amongst constant temptation. And yet, despite the wickedness around them, the Apostle Paul reminds this group of believers that no matter what may be around them, they have been called to live righteously. Oh, what a word for you and I this morning, the call to live righteously. Even though we can say that we're surrounded by temptation, vulgarity, and sin. But the Apostle Paul urges to us that we don't need to run away from the city. We can actually thrive in, the, in it. Well, I won't keep you this mo- too long this morning, but maybe you're asking this question. How is it, preacher, that we can live like we should in these wild times? How is it that we as Christians in this Advent season can show our neighbors and our friends that we are true believers? How is it that we can live like men and women of God? Well, the Apostle Paul would say to us first, you must think rightly. Look with me at verses 17 and 18. The Apostle Paul says this, so I say this and affirm in the Lord that you are no longer to walk as the Gentiles also walk. Here it is, in the futility of their minds, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of their hardness of heart. The basic issue of lifestyle flows from the mind. Since Christians ought to think differently, Christians, therefore, ought to live differently. Notice how the Apostle Paul compares Gentiles, uh, another name for pagans or another name for unbelievers, people who don't believe in Jesus Christ, who haven't claimed to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear me, church, living rightly demands that we think rightly. I'm reminded of the the commandments in which Jesus says it is the very first commandment that states that you ought to love the Lord your God, right? With all of your heart, (laughs) with all of your soul. And here it is, with all of your mind. Walking with Jesus does not let us leave our minds at home. But no, being a follower of Jesus Christ actually enhances it. And I'm concerned, church, that at times we as believers, we don't think well. It's always interesting to me when you open this book of Ephesians. Ephesians is one of those books that is starting to become a a favorite book of mine. Uh, It was mentors of ours, my wife and I, that have recently uh, challenged us to begin reading a chapter of Ephesians every night before we go to sleep. Uh, Now, I wish I had a stellar uh, record, but I can't say it's been every night. (laughs) 
But I will say it's been a majority of nights. And as you flip through the chapters in Ephesians, you start to hear something, see something about what the Apostle Paul is trying to get across. You, you learn about the principalities, the heavenly principalities that are present. You learn about the Apostle Paul, how he forces or not forces, but he pleads with men and women to make sure they have their minds right, to be aware that we are in a spiritual battle, to be aware that in order to make it in this life, you're not going to just simply need more information. In order to make it in this life, you're not just simply going to need more education, but in order to make it in this life as believers in wild times, you've got to put on the armor of God. <laughs> the Apostle Paul talks about the armor of God. He talks about the helmet that you need, the helmet of righteousness. He talks about the, the breastplate, excuse me, of righteousness, the belt of peace, the shoes of peace that he talks about. And he claims to go on and on about the importance of making sure you have the right armor on. But I, as I peruse through social media and as I look at different information online and, and as I hear different conversations that I have with other Christians, I, I think that a lot of the challenges that we as people are having is our minds aren't right. The Apostle Paul says this about Gentiles, people who don't follow Christ well, or who aren't followers of Christ, he says this, they're darkened in verse 18 in their understanding. They're excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And I hope you see that that just a, just a composed system there. I hope you see the, the differences there, that the Apostle Paul is saying that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got to have your mindset changed. No longer should you live strictly for possessions, power, and pleasure. But instead, we should look to, to live for God's purpose, his will, his direction. The mind of the Christian, I believe, and as you flip through Ephesians, you see the mind of the Christian is of vital importance. Because if your mind isn't right, it's really difficult to live right. And I know, I know, I didn't come here this morning to give you a set list of more things that you have to do. No, no, no. But I hear the Apostle Paul saying in the book of Philippians that we ought to have a renewed mind. And maybe this Advent season, maybe as believers here in Chicago, uh, maybe, maybe what God is calling us to do here at Bethany Baptist Church is, is simply grow in our mindset of who Christ has called us to be. What has he done for us, church? He's, he's adopted us. He's adopted us to a new family. We don't live like we used to live. No, we don't live strictly living for ourselves. We live for one who's lived for us, Jesus the Christ. We got to have a mindset change. And, you know, the, the, the change of the mind is, is so powerful because it changes your perspectives. You know, a lot of times I think about my own struggles and my own difficulties and my own painful moments, and I'm realizing more and more that it's my perspective 
that really counts. That I've heard it said before that we can, as a people, get through anything if our, if our mind is right. The Apostle Paul instructs us to make sure that we don't fall in step like the Gentiles, like those people who have not accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that we don't fall into that ignorance. And look what happens when, when your mind isn't right. The Apostle Paul says that at the end of verse 18, it, it does something to your heart. <laughs> it, it, it does something. It, it, it hardens your heart. And it's, it's always interesting in, in, in people that I've talked to who uh, seem to have fallen further and further away from the Lord. It almost seems as though, and I say this graciously, it, it almost seems as though the longer they, they think less about Jesus, the, the harder it is for them to be touched by Jesus. What happens when our mindset isn't following Jesus, what happens when our minds aren't right, it, it, it can at times lead to, as the Apostle Paul says, a, a hardness of heart. And I, I think of the, the writer of the book of Proverbs, uh, Solomon, as he writes in Proverbs chapter 4, and he says, you gotta guard your, you got to guard your heart. Because your heart, right, is the wellspring of life, that everything flows from it. And maybe you have a question this morning. Maybe you're wondering, what should I guard my heart from? <laughs> you know, you, you talked about making sure we, we guard our minds and thinking of things that are heavenly. But maybe you're here wondering, what should I guard my heart from? Well, how about despair? How about bitterness, envy, lust? frustration. It's interesting that I say these things because even in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul mentions that, 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 that it's so tempting as believers to forget this important truth that not only is our minds need to be fixed upon Christ, but we also got to guard our heart from the hardness that this world inevitably throws at it. And I'll be honest, it's, it's, it's quite understandable at times how people's hearts get hardened. Uh, I remember a professor of mine said in seminary, he said, it's a miracle that, that we're all not bitter. Because the, the thing is that as you celebrate birthdays, as you celebrate more and more years, you, you start to see that some dreams don't necessarily come to fruition in the way that you want it. You start to wrestle with the fact that there are some pleasures or some situations that don't happen like you ought to, that you prayed for. And yet we've got to hold on to God's unchanging hand. We've got to hold on to the truth, to the, to the fact that God is still good, even when at times it's difficult to hold on and believe that. We've got to make sure we're guarding our hearts. But not only do we need to make sure that we're, we guard our hearts, the Apostle Paul says elsewhere in verse 19, when describing the differences between believers and unbelievers, he says this, who forgive this translation, who being past have given themselves over to, to all works of uncleanness and greediness. But then he says this, he contrasts it with this, but you have not learned this. 
if you have heard about him and if you have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 22, you ought to put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupted according to the deceitful lusts in verse 23 and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Verse 24, and then you ought to put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Oh, church, see the difference there? The Apostle Paul is pleading with the church here in Ephesus to remember their former way of life and to not fall back into it. As I mentioned earlier, Ephesus was a church in a wild city a city much like Chicago. And those believers at that particular time had been called out of some things. They had been called out of, of, of lust and, and bitterness and selfish ambition. And, and now the Apostle Paul, after he's planted this church by God's grace, is reminding them that I know the city in which you live is tempting. I know it's frustrating at times. I know it's tempting to fall back to your former way of life. But the Apostle Paul reminds them that you don't have to do it, and you don't have to do it by, as I mentioned, making sure you have a renewed mind. And if you have that renewed mind, you ought to remember then that you are a new man, a new woman. You know, that's one of the blessings I love about being a follower of Jesus Christ. It's, it's that, yeah, I may still have some old struggles, but I'm a new man. <laughs> I've been adopted into a new family. I've been given eternal blessings from on high. The Apostle Paul says that in Ephesians chapter 5, that we've been given, in Ephesians chapter 1, excuse me, you've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. That the Advent season is not just about Jesus sending himself. It's not just that. It's also the fact that through Jesus, we've been given everything. Oh, yes, you've been given the ability to withstand hardship and trouble. You've been given the grace to, to love those who harm you. You've been given the powerful ability to forgive even the worst of things. We are new men and new women. And so I wonder this morning, I have a question for you, that if, if your co-workers were to, to look at you, or if your family members were to, to, to see how you live and how you love, could they say that you are new? <laughs> could they say that you're growing in godliness? Could they say that, that you may not be perfect, but you seem to really love The Christian ought to think differently. The Christian ought to have a renewed heart. And the Christian ought to remember that they are a new creation. The old has passed. The new has come. And I'm not sure the challenges that we're facing in this room. I know that as I celebrate a new year, a, a new Advent season. I, I, I'm also grieving some things from past seasons that I don't have. 
And I know that story is not my own. I know that is present here this morning. It's, it's also this truth that, that as you celebrate a birthday, as it's grateful to celebrate and anticipate a new year, there are things that we don't necessarily get to take that we love from last year to the upcoming year. But the truth of the matter is, and Ephesians encourages us this morning, that if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you are new. You have hope that withstands frustration. You have power that enables, that enables you to resist temptation. You have grace that enables you to, to love those who aren't lovable. You have wisdom from on high that enables you to learn and know how to raise your children. You have wisdom and not just in how to raise your children, but how to navigate this thing called life. God has given you and I everything and he's done it by giving his son. I know the Apostle Paul doesn't get here in this particular passage of scripture, but I couldn't contain myself when I started to think about all that God has given to us, namely through his son, Jesus Christ. We heard this beautiful couple sing these songs and lead us in worship this morning about what Jesus has done, what this Advent season means and and what it means for those of us who claim to follow Jesus Christ. And simply it means that that God hasn't withheld anything from us. That I know that maybe you didn't get that thing that you prayed for specifically in the way that you wanted. But it doesn't mean that God hasn't given you everything. It means that even though you might have challenges and ups and downs and triumphs and tears, it means also that that God has given you, given us everything. The Advent season means that God hasn't forgotten about you and I here in Chicago he hasn't forgotten us, forgotten about us here in Bethany Baptist Church. He hasn't forgotten us about us here in McKinley Park. He hasn't forgotten about you as you go through your routine of life. He has not forgotten about you. And the reason I know that God hasn't forgotten about you is because he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He took away our sin and our shame. He blessed us with confidence and gave us the ability to, to walk through life with hope, knowing that God in heaven cares about us. And not just that, he gave us something else. <laughs> he gave us the Holy Spirit living inside of us. He gave us the ability to sing even in sorrow. He gave us the ability to smile even when we're worrying about tomorrow. He gave us the ability to believe even when our doctor's visits don't go like we want them to go. God has given us everything. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, as he concludes chapter 4, is encouraging us to remember that we ought to live like it. Live with hope. Live with confidence. Live with joy, live with satisfaction, live with belief, live with the fact that God hasn't forgotten about you. And you know he hasn't forgotten about you because he sent his son. And with that, let me close in a word of prayer. 
Gracious God, our Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is, is perfect, that it's, the psalmist declares, it's, it's uh, sharper than any double-edged sword, as the writer of Hebrews would say. Lord God, your precepts are perfect. Your word encourages and empowers. It, it helps and aids. It strengthens and guides, Lord God. And I pray this morning that as we leave this place, as we go to our homes, as we take time to rejoice with our family and friends this season, as we consider even some of the losses of this year, Lord God, I pray that we remember that you've given us everything. And because you've given us everything, that we can live like the people you've called us to live. And so, Lord God, I pray for someone here who may, be, who may not be walking with you. I pray for some family member who may be represented here, who someone is praying for, that they would know that you are good and that you are God, Lord God. I pray that this Advent season encourages them and empowers them to take a risk and trust Jesus. Because we serve a God who is so great that he did not withhold anything, but gave to us everything. And he gave to us, namely, his son. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Bethany. We invite you to worship together with us on Sundays. For more information, visit BethanyChicago.org. Thank you.